Man, don't you just love the music of the holidays? It doesn't get much better than that. And we've got such talented musicians in this church. Our piano, our organ, our handbells. Um, if music really inspires you to get ready for Christmas, come Wednesday night. That, that's what that service is about. Our, our candlelight service is about Christmas music, about the Christmas story, about uh, sharing the elements of the Lord's Supper together. For that's really what makes Christmas so powerful is uh, Jesus' death on the cross. Um, but man, third week of Advent, feels like we missed something somewhere. <laughs> I guess you weren't here if you didn't get that joke from last week. <laughs> Today, today's uh, theme, our pink candle, is the theme of joy. Now joy, from a Christian understanding, is not just an expression of happiness. Because there are things in life that makes us joyful. You know, if you like the mountains and you've got a cabin in Colorado, maybe just that scenery brings joy to your heart. But that happiness is temporal. You can look in the book of Acts, Acts 13, and Paul is preaching to the Israelites. He's preaching on what it means to be joyful and why they found joy, even though they suffer and have been persecuted. Joy didn't come from God creating the world and making things beautiful. That was a gift, and it, yes, it is something to be happy about. It is something to find joy. But for the Israelite experience and for the Christian experience, joy truly comes because we serve of God who freed us. He freed those Israelites those many years ago from the bonds of slavery. Freed us today in Jesus Christ from the bondage of sin. Something that so easily entangles us. And so as we learn what it means to be joyful as a Christian, we learn that it is not something, a remote, an emotional reaction or a feeling to something good, to a beautiful sunset, to the right silhouette on the mountains, to a perfect snow and, and set of skis. Those things make us happy, but they're temporal. So if you've ever been skiing and it's not snowed a lot and they've got those artificial snowmakers go and you're coming down the slopes and that stuff hits you in the face, your joy can quickly be eroded by a good day of skiing, can it? You can have timed yourself out and you, you have your nice cup of coffee and you're ready for that beautiful sunset. You, you've got there, everything is coming together. But guess what? It was a, wasn't a very windy day, which is something to be joyful, happy about, isn't it, around here? But when we don't get those West Texas winds, that sunset can just go away. The sun's there. The pretty hues in the sky aren't around. But joy is something different. It is an attitude. It is a state of mind that we find ourselves in. It is the ability to find something meaningful, meaningful in life when the circumstances around you are in peril, are in distress. Joy is the attitude of Christians because we have found something bigger and brighter and better than the world has to offer. Because we have found something that has eternal significance. We have found the love of a God who created us who created us with purpose and for a purpose, and that calls us to be one of his own. This is the joy we found, and this is what we remember 
as we prepare for Christmas during this Advent season. Because Advent is an expectant waiting. We are waiting for Christ's arrival. As we celebrated that first Christmas those thousands of years ago. We look forward expectantly waiting for Christ to return again. And today we return to the narrative. The narrative of God's cosmic plan of salvation. And we turn to an unlikely hero. She went by the name of Mary. Now if you've ever read through the Gospel of Luke, you know it's one that you can't just simply read through one time. Because it begs you to enter the story as a whole. We, don't ju- we aren't just introduced to Elizabeth, the mother of John, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then that's it. For even in the announcement of the birth of these two, two children under miraculous means, one to a barren woman in her old age, it says, one to a teenager who had never been with a man, we are invited to read the story as if the Easter had already taken place. Because the birth of these two boys marks something special in the light of history. They mark salvation history in a way that needs to be read in the whole cosmic plan. All the way back from creation until Jesus Christ comes to redeem his kingdom. And give us that new heaven and new earth where pain and sickness and death no longer plague us. But we have resurrected bodies, and we walk in a new way. So today, as we study the idea of joy, we are brought back to a time, a time where Mary hears the angel's announcement. Now, do you know the story of the Christmas story? Do you know the birth? I really hope you do if you're here today. But let's remind us of where we're at. So we have Elizabeth and Zechariah, two priests, religious family, you know? They're the pastors of the family. Mary's her cousin. Elizabeth lived a faithful life. Her husband was a faithful servant in the, the priesthood. But they weren't blessed with children. She was barren. I wonder what that love was like in that household. Because it was almost a sign in this day and time that if you didn't produce an heir or offspring that God wasn't looking favorably on you and they lived a lifetime just about in this condition a married couple faithfully to their duties maybe they just thought it was the sins of a parent or a grandparent that had led them into this position but we now know that God was preparing something even more special that they would raise a son of John the Baptist, who would be a predecessor, a forerunner to Jesus. He would be the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He would be the new Elijah, one full of spirit and power, and who would turn Israel to the path of righteousness. They were prepared through a lifetime of heartache for something truly special. Sometimes we may feel like that. We may feel like we are just living a lifetime of heartache. Every door we open seems like the wrong one. Every, every day we wake up, it just seems like we're on the wrong path. Well, this couple gives us an example on how to live in spite of that. They were obedient to their faith and to their God. 
And God was going to bless them in a way that he hadn't blessed many in the course of human history. He was going to give them a son in very special circumstances. And they were given instruction, you raise this child. You raise him in a way that sets him apart. You raise him dedicated to one particular mission. Don't let him have alcohol or strong drinks. All these kind of things that a Nazarite would do. Look in the Old Testament. We find the figures of Samuel and others that that lived a code like this. Very special diet. I mean, he was kind of the predecessor for the monastic movement. Wearing weird clothes. Having a bland diet. Everything was about their devotion to God and a spiritual well-being that set them apart from the crowd. From birth, they knew this was his livelihood. And he was a funny-looking fellow. You ever read his description? Wore a weird coat, big old buckle, kind of hairy man, ate locust and honey. I mean, that doesn't sound like your typical hero, but he was. And because of his actions and because of his call of righteousness, he wasn't against just the, the laymen, the normal folks, the everyday Jew. He stood up against those in power. And he lost his head for it. But he paved the way. He fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah. And he leveled the plat. <laughs> plat. What is a plat? He leveled the playing field so that when Jesus come the Spirit would be ready to receive and that they would see and that His ministry would be powerfully and effective. I mean, imagine a man who worked for three years as an itinerant preacher. Changed how we recorded time. He affected every aspect of life. Even today, even to the most secular world, His name is known. From just a historical point of view, not too many people have been able to do that. But this Jesus was. And he was born of a very special person. He was born of a woman named Mary. A woman betrothed to a man named Joseph, a carpenter, blue-collared guy. Now, marriages back then weren't marriages like today. They may have had grand parties and occasions to go with it, and it was a time for festivals, but it wasn't necessarily out of love. A husband and wife didn't pick themselves out of dating pools and computer apps and all this kind of stuff. Most of the time, it was arranged by their parents. It was almost a business transaction, changing of property. It's one reason we give brides away today. It's almost a signifying the same tradition. But there was also a period of testing that we don't do today. Because there wasn't birth control. There wasn't all these other things that we can do that we have access to modern science. And so after a couple was engaged, the, the girl was separated for a period of time. This was to prove one point, that she still was indeed a virgin and hadn't been with a man because after a course of 12 months it'll show you if she had been messing around but something different happened after the arrangements had been made and after the plan for her to marry Joseph and after a period of waiting took place she was visited by the angel 
I said, blessings upon you. Don't be afraid. I've got great news, great joy. And he revealed what was to take place, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, come upon her and she would conceive and bear a child. Can you imagine? This was bad for her. This wasn't necessarily a good thing for her. If she wanted to stay on the sidelines, this would have been her death. But Mary listened because she had an expectant heart. She had a faithful heart. She had been reared in the ways of her people. It is evident on how she responded that she knew the Scripture. She knew their people's story. She knew how they were once slaves and how they were bound. She read the prophets or she heard the prophets. And she knew that one day a Messiah would come. And that would deliver their people from the bondage. From the Romans that now occupied them. They had their city, but they didn't have their land. They had their temple. They had the presence of their God, but they weren't fully in control. Yes, they had leaders on the throne, but they were puppets of the Roman Empire. They were loyal first to the Romans just to keep the people in line. They had their rituals. They had their festivals. But it wasn't the same as back in the days of David and Solomon. And even this young girl... She knew her place, and now she was finding out what it meant to be blessed. And upon hearing these words, she has to go hear about them from Elizabeth. For the angel, after revealing this truth to her, how the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overlay on you, therefore the child to be born... Will, call, will be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son and in, is in the sixth month with her, who was also called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am your servant, O Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. But she goes to see Elizabeth. She leaves right then to go. You know, I've once preached this sermon that she may have been scared. She may have been fearful. But that's really not the scene that we have here. She may have been ignorant, maybe, to not know the situation she could have found herself in, not knowing what Joseph could have done. But she was faithful. She believed the word of the angel. She knew what she had done and that this was something truly special. She knew that God had promised a deliverer. And she is now being called to be part of that plan. And so she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And she spends some time with her. And upon entering the room, we hear that, you know, the baby leaps for joy in Elizabeth's womb. Joy. This introduction of these two women, about these two pregnancies, is a response of joy. Because it is God intervening again in history as he had done so many times in the past. That is why the people of God can have joy. We're not deists. We don't worship a clockmaker who designed this world so perfectly that as he built it and as he created, he cranked the, times of the sands of time and released us to however it would be. No, we serve a God who intervenes in history who delivers the children of God from their bondage in Egypt 
through his mighty hands and signs and wonders, it says in the Old Testament, who was with their people as the Babylonians came in and sent them to exile so that they may preserve, preserve those holy scriptures and that they would record them and that they would develop them. And what we know as the synagogue came out of this time. The synagogue is where we find many of our own traditions. As they met at those synagogues, away from the rituals of the temple, they devoted themselves to the study of Scripture, to the proclamation of the Word, and to hymns and songs. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? God knew what He was doing. And only through a lens of eternity can we truly see it. We don't have that now, but we can look backwards. They say, hindsight is twenty-twenty. It is true. When we know how God had been intervening, when we experience the power of the Spirit in our own life as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can look back on these stories through the Old Testament, through the stories of the New Testament, and see how God was intervening in history back then. But we also come to realize how God is intervening in history today. He is intervening in each of our lives that have found Him as our Lord and Savior. There's a saying that said, The proud look down on others because they fail to look up to God. This is a problem that many of us West Texans, many of us Christian West Texans find. We like the idea of being self-sufficient. Man, I'm not going to say it. Somebody say it. Thank you. But we like that idea. We like to be able to do it on our own, not relying on anyone else. But we can't really. Our farmers know that. Our producers know that without those who would uh, gin the cotton and these kind of things. doesn't matter what kind of crop they pull out of the field. They'd have to develop all that on their own. You know, our pumpkin farmers know that. doesn't matter how many pumpkins they grow. If they can't harvest them or get them on a truck and ship them around our country, what's the point? We rely on other people more than we know. God is sustaining us every day more than we know. We find that in these scriptures that God has been intervening in history all along. And he will continue to intervene in history until Jesus Christ comes to collect his bridegrooms. To collect us and give us what he has promised. And Mary, that blessed Mary. Now some of you may be thinking you get a little too close to being a Catholic today, Pastor. But Mary is blessed. We see Mary because we see what it means for us. She is blessed because she is taking part in God's plan. She is the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we don't pray to her because we have the Holy Spirit. We pray directly to God through our advocate, through Jesus Christ and the blood that he washed us clean so that we may stand in front of a holy God. But Mary understood her place in history. And in receiving the word and the promise of this child, she declared what we find in verses 46 through 56 of the first chapter of Luke. This is her song. 
It begs us to understand the Old Testament. And it begs us to learn the whole story of Jesus. Not just the baby born at Christmas, but Calvary. She tells us this. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then it says, And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, for three months and returned home. Basically, from the time that she gave birth, Mary stayed with her. She understood her place in history. She understood that she was blessed. And her blessing was not in the conceiving of the child, but is in understanding what God was doing. And the only reason she could understand is because she knew what God had done. She knew the promise of Abraham. That he would become a father of a great nation. And that they would be a blessing to all. To all people. This was the story she was being drawn into. She didn't cite Moses. This wasn't just about the Israelites. She cited Abraham. For this blessing was more than her. It was more than the Israel, Israelites. It had global scale. It was to us. So in this story, we see three parts. We see that Mary was blessed because she was able to experience the Holy Spirit like many of us have never experienced. She felt life growing in her because of it. She was able to be with her cousin Elizabeth and share with her joy because she has now conceived a son. She can also celebrate because the people of Israel had been blessed in the lens of eternity. Just think about it. Out of all the nations, why the Israelites? Why them? They had never seemed to get it. That first generation that came out of Egypt that saw all the plagues and everything that left them through, that walked through the Red Sea. They didn't really get it. didn't take long for they wished for their days. They longed for their days to enjoy just a meat pot around the fires of their captivity. Then they wandered a whole generation through the wilderness. And then we see that they finally get things together. But over and over again, generation after generation, would come back and fall. Come back and fall. Even through the days of David, 
their great leader who united all people and gave them this kingdom to be proud of. And under his son Solomon, it would expand to its furthest borders. And they would build a magnificent temple that others would envy. Silver War, one generation later. They weren't an example of why they were special. They were chosen because God needed a people to share in history with. He needed a people to experience his path, to be the keepers of the record. He needed a people to bless so that all may be blessed. As he said to Abraham when he called him out those many years ago, leave your place, I will give you a land, I will give you the, as many as a great nation will be your offspring as the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea and all this. It wasn't about the Israelites. It was never about the Israelites. It was always about God and us. They're a part of us. They're a great heritage to this story. And without them, we wouldn't know Christmas the way we do. But we have access to what God has done for them so that he could do for us. And as our sins led us astray, and that we were bound to that slavery, we have found Jesus came and took the wrath that we deserve upon his back on Calvary, so that in his resurrection that Easter morn, we may truly learn what it means to celebrate Christmas. And that is why we celebrate this Advent. It is a time of expectant waiting. We expect that God will fulfill his promises. And we're waiting for the light to enter the world. We're up to three candles now. Our stand is getting brighter each week. And on Christmas Day, all the light will have come into this world. And we will have that baby boy born to set us free. But today we fall to the history, to the child, to the servant Mary. And we see how she was blessed. And in her being blessed, we all have found that blessing today. And how does she respond? She responds with joy and with praise to God for what he has done. From generation after generation to the present day, God had been working through his people, and he continues to work today. That is why we prepare ourselves for Christmas. It's not about the tinsel and the presents, but it's about a baby who was born to set us free, who could let us live a life of purpose because we were created by God for such a thing. And it's with the indwelling of the Spirit, we can move closer and closer each day in the likeness that Jesus Christ has given us, that we see in the witness of Scripture, and that testifies to our heart. That is why she can praise. And we see how the field has been leveled. The rich will be brought down. The lowly will be raised. This is not about a power struggle. This is about equality. For it doesn't matter 
If you're male or female, rich or poor, white or black or Hispanic, no matter what race, doesn't matter your background, for the playing field has been leveled. And those who came from humble backgrounds, they will be lifted up because they will understand what it means to depend on God for everything, for their next meal, for their spiritual well-being. They truly know what it means because they are dependent in life. They learn to be dependent on God for everything. And for those rich, those who don't have to struggle, who they don't have to know what true hunger is, if they truly want to understand the gospel, they have to give it up for the sake of this world. And that means if you have an extra coat, as John the Baptist says, share one. And when the soldier asks him, what shall I do? Don't be corrupt. The tax collector, what shall I do? They ask him. Well, don't cheat people. It's not about the resources that we think of, but it's about living the best life that we can. Whatever you are called to do, whether teach our children, our next generation, grow the crops that clothe our back, help people with insurance in case those times of trouble come our way. Take out the trash that piles up in our alleys. Work on the power grid, the water. Whatever it is you've been called to do, John would tell you to do it with integrity and to live a life in such a way that they see Jesus Christ living in you. For that is the gospel that we are called to live. It is the good news of Christ that others should see in our action. Not just in the words that we speak, but how we belong with each other. This is why Mary is blessed. is because we have been called to something more. And she recognized it as a young teenage mother. Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time that you have given us to come into your house. Lord, we are thankful for your servant Mary, who shows us what it's like to be blessed. For when she experiences your power, she responds in praise and adoration. Because what you have done, not just for her, but for all who have heard the promise to Abraham. Lord, I pray during this time of year that we remember why we celebrate Christmas. That we prepare our hearts during Advent so that we may have an attitude of joy that will, exp that will span all year long. And that this season will resonate and warm our hearts in a way that will set us on the path that you had called us for. Be with us today and always that we may experience your love and your blessings constantly. And give us eyes to recognize what is already being done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have decided to follow Jesus, today is a great day to come forward. For he loves you and in his mercy he chooses to bless you. Please come forward. Let everybody else know about this decision. Maybe you've been visiting First Baptist for some time now. And decide today is the day that you are going to join. 
Or maybe you're just simply in need of prayer. Please come forward at this time.